Hey Zags fans, Andy Patton here. The Zags are finally scheduled to play a game on Saturday against the Pepperdine Waves to open up conference play. We are previewing the Waves in segment one before closing out the week with Andy Locks grading listener-submitted hot takes all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen or first watch of the day. For those of you who have not checked out the YouTube channel yet, you can go search, go on YouTube, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button, go ahead and watch. You can see the evolution of the my background, uh, the bookshelf that we got. We finally put it up. We got a bunch of new decorations up there. You can see the evolution as the new house comes together. You can also check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate all of you who have been sticking with me throughout. Of course, the last few weeks have been a little treacherous without any Gonzaga basketball on the court, but we got a game. I hope, I hope by the time you're listening to this, there has not been any news that this game has been canceled. As of right now, all systems are go for Gonzaga versus Pepperdine on Saturday evening. It will, of course, be the Zags' first WCC game after losing out on their first three contests due to positive COVID tests on the Gonzaga basketball program. We don't know a lot of details about which players were and weren't sick, any of that situation. Perhaps we'll get some, perhaps we won't, but hopefully we can just be in a spot where we can put this behind us. That's what we're trying to do in today's episode, getting back to our roots, previewing Gonzaga's opponent. The Zags are going to kick things off on Saturday against Lorenzo Romar's Pepperdine Waves. And this is not this is not the Pepperdine team that you remember from last season. I think I don't think there's any team in the conference that underwent a more significant roster change from a talent perspective. Certainly the University of Portland lost there in every scholarship player got turned over because of the coaching change. And I think that that roster is certainly better than last year's roster, but it's just different more than it is more than it has changed talent wise. Pepperdine lost two really significant contributors to their roster in Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards. Kessler Edwards is in the NBA. He's playing for the Brooklyn Nets. He is an extraordinarily talented 3 and D wing. One of the first times in a very long time that a non-Gonzaga or BYU player was drafted in the NBA out of the WCC. That caliber of talent from Kessler Edwards. Of course, Colby Ross, who unfortunately is not in the NBA. I believe that his size has inhibited, inhibited him from carving out an NBA career, but he's Pepperdine's all-time leader in points and assists, one of the most prolific college basketball players of the past four years. A guy who struggled against Gonzaga, but was really, really good against just about everybody else. Losing those two guys is a significant problem for this team. This is a team that was Many people felt that they could contend legitimately for the second spot in the conference last year. They ended up falling out of that kind of competition and weren't quite in that conversation, didn't seriously challenge for an NCAA tournament spot, which is unfortunate because of how good Ross and Edwards were. But now you're looking at a team without those two guys. They still got some talent. They still got a, a pretty solid roster. They got a new young freshman in Houston Maletti, who we'll talk about a little bit. But Lorenzo Romar's got his work cut out for him. He's always been known as a guy who can recruit well but doesn't always get 
the most out of his players or certainly the most out of his team. That was the case last year with having two superstar players like Edwards and Ross. Now he doesn't have as talented of a roster. So how he does as a coach and how he continues to do as a recruiter will be a big factor in how long he keeps this job. So far, the Waves are 6-9 and nine in the non-conference slate. Not terrible. They did win four of their last five after getting off to an extremely rough start. Uh, for the last five, their best wins on the season, though, are San Jose State and UC Davis. So not a lot of marquee wins. Most of the rest of their wins came against very poor opponents, either non-Division One opponents or Division One opponents outside the top 300 on Ken Palm. They did play a decent schedule, though, and they actually had some pretty solid results. They didn't. They, they lost by, I think, nine to Oregon. Now, Oregon has, has struggled this season. There's no doubt about that. But still, holding it within 10 to against a Oregon squad that, while they've been struggling, is still pretty good. That's a good result for Romar and the Waves. They also played good games against Fresno State, against Texas Christian, against Grand Canyon, and against Nevada. They had pretty close results against all four of those teams. It would have been nice to get one, even two wins out of that would have been great, especially for a team that is still kind of searching for their identity. But even one would have been really nice because as it stands, five close losses to good teams when your best win is UC Davis, it's still not exactly the resume that you want. Nobody's thinking that this team is going to contend for even a top five spot in the conference. They're probably going to be a bottom feeder this year. They're likely going to finish ahead of Portland and Pacific, but they're... This is a team that's in rebuild right now, and they, they have some pieces to potentially be competitive in the future, but they're just not there right now. Ken Palm has them 227th in the country. Uh, offensively, they're 245th. Defensively, a little bit better at 191st, but still not really stand out in either area. They do play at a quick tempo, 71st again, according to Ken Palm. So that could be fun, if nothing else, against Gonzaga, another team that also plays at a quick tempo. We've seen most teams, uh, particularly this season, but really in, in a lot of seasons past, have attempted to beat Gonzaga by slowing them down by playing at these really snail-type paces and forcing Gonzaga to adjust to that. St. Mary's is one of the few teams that has been very effective at this, but we have seen other teams attempt to do it as well. Pepperdine is not going to do that. They're going to probably try to run with Gonzaga or run past Gonzaga. I don't think that it's a strategy that will particularly work, but they don't have a lot of other options trying to slow it down and play a half-court game when they're not an efficient scoring team and they're not a particularly good defensive team is probably going to be a recipe for disaster. So try to get out and run, see if they can run around on the Zags who are coming back from a really long break and have had some guys who were pretty sick, allegedly. So it's a strategy that I think they're going to employ. It should be for a more entertaining basketball game game. For those of you who've watched a lot of St. Mary's over the last few years, you know that those games can be just a slog. They can be really unappealing to watch. And I don't think this game will be the case in that situation, although I don't particularly think that Pepperdine is going to be extra competitive against Gonzaga. If they are, it will be because of one of two or both of these two guys, Jan Zadek and Houston Maletti Zadek, has been great for Pepperdine for the last couple of years. He was kind of in a a role, a different role last year, obviously, with Edwards and Ross. Now he gets to be a bit more of a leading man. He's leading the team with 12.5 points. He's averaging four rebounds and just under an assist per game, playing about 28 minutes. He hasn't shot the ball particularly well, but I think that that will probably improve as they get into conference play. But he's still been a really rock-solid player for them. And then Maletti, he's their star freshman. He was a top 200 recruit in the country, three-star guy. Got looks from some other schools, including Penn State, so was definitely in consideration by some Power 5 schools. 
Romar, again, did what he is best at doing, which was to convince this kid to stick around. He's a Southern California kid. Got him to stick with the waves. So far, he's looked excellent. He's averaging 11.5 points, four rebounds, and two assists per game. He's shooting 36% from three. Now, Pepperdine's a bad three-point shooting team. They're about 32% on the season. Nobody else really stand out in that area. But Maletti is going to let it go. He's going to shoot some threes. He's going to give Gonzaga some fits. He's a big guard. Uh, he's a really talented young player. And I think he's going to be the next in a long line of really good guards in the WCC. Obviously, you can look around now and see Jamari Bouye, Tommy Cousy, Alex Barcelo. But you can think back on years past. I mean, we've got the Anthony Ireland's, the Alec Winterings. Like There have been so many good, good guards in this conference, even on the non-elite programs like Gonzaga and BYU. And I think he's going to be the next in a pretty long line of those really talented guards. And I think it's going to be fun to get a chance to see him for the first time. And then unsurprisingly, kind of the last thing for most of the teams in the WCC outside of San Francisco and St. Mary's, Pepperdine doesn't have a lot of size. Zidek is 6'9", 230, and he's a big dude, and he's not afraid to push people around a little bit and kind of, you know, bang around with dudes in the post. So he's going to be a bit of an issue in that regard, but that's about it. The only player on the roster who is taller than Zidek is 6'10", Carson Bisham, and he is he plays about five minutes per game. So he's just he's not a rotation player. He's barely a rotation player. He'll get a few minutes here and there. Other than that, it's going to be a lot on Zidek to try to handle one or both of Drew Timmy and Chad Holmgren and, frankly, Anton Watson, who are all about that size or bigger. So, again, Gonzaga has had a size advantage over almost every single team that they have played this year. So it's not surprising that that will once again be a story in this game. But I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be good, obviously, just to see Gonzaga back in action. It's been so long since they've played. I know we're all anxious to see what they look like. Hopefully this is an opportunity for them to get some of the younger guys some playing time. I think with guys being so, you know, having missed so much time and many of them probably being under the weather for a good chunk of the last week, even if they're fully healthy in this game, it makes some sense to not play guys 35, 36, 38 minutes in this game, obviously, unless they really, really need to, which would be a worst case scenario for this game. So I'm hoping that means we see a lot of Hunter Salas. I'm hoping that means we see more of Ben Gregg and Caden Perry. Uh, see a lot of Nolan Hickman. That kind of stuff. Obviously, if the game gets out of hand, we could see some Matthew Lang, some Martinez Arlauskas, Joe Few, all of those guys. Uh, it's fun to see those guys for a variety of reasons, but it would be nice to get an opportunity to get some of those guys and maybe not play Andrew Nempard and Drew Timmy 35 minutes. Maybe only play them 24, 25, 28, something like that. Just give the whole team an opportunity to stretch their legs to get back into game action. Because from here on out, maybe not next week, but soon, Gonzaga's going to be playing. There's a good chance they're going to be playing three games a week. Not, not every week, obviously. Hopefully, cross our fingers that the three games that they've missed are the only three games they miss. And they can find opportunities to get those games on the calendar over the next few weeks, few months, really. But there's an opportunity for, for some more games to get canceled, obviously. We, we hope that Gonzaga doesn't have any more issues within their own program. But other programs may still have issues. We still may see some of that stuff crop up. So now's a good chance to, to hopefully get everybody some action, get everybody a little bit more used to playing collegiate basketball on a court for a full 40 minutes, all of that stuff, and then hopefully kind of ease them back into a potential three-game-a-week schedule, which might be coming down the line. All right, that is our Pepperdine preview. In the next segment, I'm going to close out the week with Andy Locks. I know we normally do this on Thursday. We bumped it to Friday for this week. I'm going to be grading listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, GetUpside. 
Hey, Zags fans, Andy Patton here with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about, GetUpside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code SCORE and you get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code SCORE to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or use an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE to get 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Today's episode is also sponsored by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're switching over to Andy Locks. A weekly segment where I grade listener-submitted hot takes. It's been a rough couple of weeks because there hasn't been a lot of Gonzaga basketball, so I appreciate those of you who still stepped up, still submitted some hot takes. I wasn't sure if we would be able to do it this week just because there's <laughs> when there's no games, it's a little bit harder to come up with hot takes, but many of you came up with some fun things to discuss in this segment and in the next segment as we close out the week. This first one comes from John via Gmail. He says Gonzaga will lose Holmgren, Nemhard, Bolton, Timmy, Strother, and Hickman on this year's team for next year. He said if you would grade the possibility of losing all six of those players in a worst-case scenario, I would appreciate it. Yeah, so I think the odds of losing all six of these guys are pretty slim. Uh, I would say mm, 10%, maybe 15% likely that that's going to happen. Uh, obviously, Holmgren and Bolton are almost certainly going to be gone. Holmgren is a 100% gone. Bolton is nearly 100% gone. Nempard is also nearly 100% gone, maybe a little bit lower than those two guys. But all, I think the odds of losing all three of those guys, probably well over 85 90% that those three guys are all gone. Drew Timmy is, in my mind, probably right Maybe 50-50-ish, maybe closer to 60% gone, 40% staying. I don't know that I think it's likely that he will stay, but I would not be shocked. There's obviously still a lot of season left to be played. We know that players' draft stock rises and falls considerably in the NBA, excuse me, in the NCAA tournament. So that will be a big determining factor for Timmy. Uh, But I still think it's possible that he ends up coming back, doing the whole Christian Leitner thing, playing a fourth season. And then Strother and Hickman, it's just, it's too early to tell. You know, they're halfway through basically their first season. What Strother did last year is not 
a, a big determining factor for his NBA draft stock. He, he, his draft stock is going to be determined basically exclusively by this season. I think those two guys are too hard to tell because it really is going to depend significantly on how they do in March. If Strother shoots 45% from three in March and averages 15 points per game and the Zags roll all the way to the final four, he's probably gone. If Hickman steps up, plays significant minutes off the bench, uh, hits his threes well, plays good defense in the NCAA tournament, he's gone. Uh, if both those guys struggle in the NCAA tournament or if Hickman doesn't play very much, only plays six, seven minutes per game because Mark Few r- rides Andrew Nampard really hard, then I think it's more likely Hickman comes back. Likewise, if Strother struggles to shoot in the NCAA tournament or gets exposed on the defensive end of the floor, he's probably coming back as well. So I, I don't feel confident making a decision on either of those guys. I think it's very possible they both leave. I think it's pretty possible they both come back too. It really depends on how March goes. It depends on how the rest of the season goes. It certainly depends on, I think they're both going to test the waters as they should because you're allowed to do that now and you can still return to school. So I think they're going to test the waters and how they do in those workouts, how they look uh, in front of NBA scouts and general managers is going to have a factor as well. All right, this next one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, Chet Holmgren's game will be better suited for the NBA than college, and this will be confidently articulated in his stats. So I think this is just right. Uh, I think... I think it's probably true, at least offensively. I think his his offensive game fits more in the NBA. I think we've talked about the transition threes and how great he is at that in college. I think that's a skill that's going to that's gonna be utilized well in the NBA. They get out in transition a lot at that level. Uh, it's easier to get out in transition, even on made baskets or on, on just about every missed basket. I think he's going to get out in transition well. I think he's going to shoot it well. The NBA floor is bigger, so floor spacing is more of a thing that you want to focus on at the NBA level. His ability to shoot from the outside will be more impactful at that level. We haven't seen him be super consistent as a three-point shooter. I think that will, A, get better in the rest of this season, but certainly I think he'll be a better outside shooter in the NBA as well. Defensively, I don't think that he's going to be better suited to be an NBA defensive player than he is a collegiate defensive player. I think it's similar, with the only difference being he's He's going to be better in college because he's he's playing defense against inferior players. Uh, in the NBA, everybody's going to be better. Like most of the guys he faces in the NBA are going to be better than all of the guys he faced in college, or at least the vast majority of them. Certainly, you know, the Trevor Keels and Wendell Moores of the world are going to be in the NBA, but a lot of the guys are not. So I think he's going to be a similarly effective defensive player, but I don't think he's better suited to be a defensive player in the NBA than he is in college. But I do think offensively, he's probably going to be better. And I think statistically, we will see him develop into a guy who scores 15, 16 points per game, you know, eight to nine rebounds per game, which are better numbers than he's putting up in college in part because he's going to play more minutes in the NBA because the NBA games are longer and because he's not going to have, you know, one of the best players in college basketball on his team necessarily in the NBA. So I think you're going to see him statistically improve as an NBA player, but I don't know that that, especially defensively, means that he's better suited for that level, if that makes sense. Next one comes from Thomas via Gmail. He says, next season, Anton Watson will start every game and get a triple-double. Okay, so starting every game, too cold. Yes, he's going to start every game next year, barring it would be a, it would be a big surprise if he did not start every game next year. Let's put it that way. I think, you know, Chet Hormigan's going to leave. Even if Drew Timmy comes back, I think Drew Timmy and Anton Watson are your starters, and then Ben Gregg and Caden Perry are your backups. I think if Drew Timmy leaves, then Anton Watson is is very obviously a starter. So I think he's going to start every game next year. I know that he was a starter at his freshman season and his sophomore year and finished the season not as a starter both years, so I can understand why there's maybe some 
wondering if that will be the case again next year. I suppose it could happen if he regresses and or Ben Gregg or Caden Perry step up significantly and cut into his playing time. But I think he's going to start every game next year, barring injuries, of course. A triple-double, I think that's too hot. I like it. <laughs> I think it's a fun prediction. We've obviously seen a lot more triple-double predictions and conversations as ever since Joel Eiyai got a triple-double last year. And, of course, there was some thought that Jalen Suggs might do it. There's been a lot of conversation about whether Chet Holmgren is capable of doing it this year with block shots, which would be super, super fun. Anton, I think, is less likely to do it. He he only has one double-double in his career. Granted, he's going to play more minutes per game next year than he probably has in his entire career. So that will likely lead to more double-doubles. He's proven himself a good rebounder. He's proven himself a much more aggressive and still highly efficient scorer. So 10 points per game is something he can do. 10 rebounds per game is something he can do. 10 assists per game is probably... I don't want to say it's impossible. It's definitely doable, but it's going to be hard. 10 assists per game for a non-point guard is just difficult. College basketball is, you know, it's 40 minutes per game instead of 48 minutes per game like the NBA. That's part of the reason that triple doubles are far more rare. You have to be a really high usage player. And up to this point, Anton Watson has been a low usage player. That's part of what makes him effective is he's he scores you know 7 to 10 points per game with extremely low usage. He does not have the ball in his hands all that often. That makes it difficult to rack up 10 assists in a game. It's just not an easy thing to do. I don't think it's crazy to imagine that Anton Watson could get a triple-double. I'm not banking on it, and I think it's too hot to necessarily predict that, but I love that. That's what that's what we're here for, is we're here to make bold, hot predictions. I want you to be able to tell me that, hey, I was right. Look at that. It happened. And I'll tell you right now, I'm going to be thrilled if Anton Watson gets a triple-double next year. But there's a lot of things would have to go really, really right for that all to shape up in a way that it happens in a game next season. Next one, another one from Christian. He says, Mark Few declining the many job offers he has received over the years, both publicly known and unknown, and staying at Gonzaga is the single most important reason for the WCC's growth. So I think this is generally true. I think particularly when you think about the offers that he received between like 2003 and 2008, that kind of era, when he had clearly proven that he had this young team, he took over from Dan Monson. They'd made the NCAA tournament. They made this kind of poetic Cinderella-y run. And he took them over and he kept them good. He had Blake Stepp. He had Dan Dickow. He brought those guys in. And he kept this program at a really high level. Once once that happened, is that's when he started getting those offers. We know about a lot of them. They're, they've been featured in articles. They've been featured in books. Like They have been well discussed. There's probably many, like you said, that we do not know about. But that time period... That The fact that he stayed through that time period probably is one of, if not the most significant thing that has kept the WCC or elevated the WCC to the level they're at now. Had he left for any of those jobs, Gonzaga very possibly, quite likely, would have fallen back into obscurity. Maybe not right away, but eventually, unless they hit lightning in a bottle on their next head coaching hire, which you never know, could have happened. But if it didn't, they would have probably fallen back. And yeah, I don't think you see BYU join the conference. I don't know if St. Mary's, you know, is able to hire Randy Bennett. I don't know if they're able to make the kind of successful tenure that they have made. It's and even if they did, if Gonzaga wasn't what they are, if St. Mary's ends up being good, do they do they become the next Gonzaga? Do they just, you know, are they just a good team in a bad conference? Like who knows? I think after 2008, 2009 had Mark Few chosen to take another job, it would have been A very surprising, but B I think the WCC's kind of ascent would have still continued. Certainly once BYU joined, I think that kind of 
that was a huge part of the WCC's growth as well. Even though we're losing them now, they they had a huge role in helping this conference stay elevated. So yes, I think Mark Few not leaving early into his tenure at Gonzaga probably is the most important reason for the WCC's growth. But BYU coming in later uh, in the decade had a huge part of that as well. And then this next one comes from John. He says, Dominic Harris continues to get healthy and he teases us by showing us videos of him getting closer and closer, but he doesn't get healthy enough soon enough and finally decides to take the year off only to come back healthy next year to form an awesome backcourt with Salas and Hickman. Yeah, lots of different things here. Obviously, this is predicated on Salas and Hickman both returning, which I said with Hickman, I think is still up in the air. Salas is far more likely to come back. But the other thing is, this kind of implies that it's Dom's decision. He decides to take the year off. I'm, I can tell you right now, that's not going to be Dominic Harris's decision. He, If he does not play this year, it will be, be because a athletic trainer or a coaching staff or somebody made the decision for him to not play. I, I very much doubt that he is going to opt out himself uh, unless his injury gets worse, obviously, which even then would still not necessarily be up to him. Uh, I still think this is... I think this is possible, so I'll say that it's just right. But I'd be pretty surprised. I think at this point, seeing him shooting, he's been off the he's been out of the boot for at least three weeks, closer to a month now, and he's you know he's moving around okay. He's posting these videos, which I don't think he would do unless he felt fairly confident. We're gonna know a lot more hopefully on Saturday after the media gets a chance to speak to Mark Few. I suspect that somebody or multiple somebodies will ask Few questions about Dominic Harris about his potential return to the team. Mark Few has never been the most forthright about injury situations, nor do I expect him to be because he may not have all of the answers and you don't want to give away everything about your team's health when you don't have when you don't need to. But I would be pretty surprised if Dom doesn't play this year. Uh, if he chooses not to play this year or if somebody else chooses to makes the decision for him that he's not going to play this year, he's going to come back next year. He's going to be healthy next year. Uh, and if Salas and Hickman come back, then that's a really strong three-guard lineup for this team. Next one, last one of this segment comes from Christian. He says, non-Zag fans and followers need to learn that Adam Morrison did not vanish from the earth and is a legit broadcaster. So my question of this is, do they? <laughs> like, I, I've, I've never met Adam Morrison. I have not personally met him yet. But I can tell you from what I know about him, from interviews, from conversations, all of that stuff, I really doubt that he cares about this at all. I, in fact, I'm basically positive that he does not. So it, it's, it, I guess it's, do we care? Do, do, do we as Gonzaga fans, as stewards of the program, as people who, who follow the former and current players as much as we do, do we care that a lot of other people still think of him as, you know, the guy who sat on the bench and got two rings, the goofy mustache guy who cried at the UCLA game, who was a bust in the NBA? Do we care that they think that? Because some people do, and that's fine. I can understand that. But I don't think him being a broadcaster for Gonzaga is necessarily going to change any of those people's minds. I also think that yet yeah, being good at your job and he is good at his job. You mentioned he's a legit broadcaster. Yes, he is good at his job. And when you are good at your job, you deserve recognition for that. So I agree in that sentiment that it would be nice if more people realized that he, you know, he, his career ended. He went back to where he was, 
you know, this really star basketball player, got a job covering the team. He has a podcast. He's doing all that stuff. And he's very good at it. It's nice for people to know that. He also went viral for that epic call against the UCLA game. Of course, you know, the Jalen Sugg shot and his emotion and his reaction to that went viral. And it was awesome. And it should have gone viral because it was so cool to hear him live in real time react to this kind of cathartic moment for him and for the Gonzaga fan base. Like he was the voice that we all needed in that moment because that's all that's how we all felt was what how he kind of reacted. And so I think those kind of moments get out there. People see that. If people care, great. If they're like, oh, I didn't know that about him and now I know that he's doing this thing, great. If they don't care or they still think of him as a you know, laughing stock, I can promise you that it is not something that Morrison himself is even remotely concerned about. So I would urge people, I guess, you can feel however you want to feel, but I would urge people to not be overly concerned about this. All right, two segments down, one more to go. We're coming back. We're still doing Andy Locks. We're still doing listener submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bilt Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bilt Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BiltBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off. All right, segment three. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're still powering through some listener-submitted hot takes, giving them a grade for Andy Locks. Too hot, too cold, or just right. This next one comes from John. He says, despite early cancellations, Gonzaga will end up playing a full slate of games during conference play through the rescheduling of games by the WCC. So maybe I'm just too optimistic, but I think this take is too cold because I think that that is almost certainly going to happen. I think the WCC is going to work very, very hard to make sure that all of these games happen, particularly, and they may not want to let people know this, but I would suspect that they are going to prioritize making sure that their big four, Gonzaga, BYU, San Francisco, and St. Mary's, that all four of those teams get all of their games played, particularly against each other. I I guarantee you the priority is getting Gonzaga to play San Francisco because that game has already been canceled. They want to make sure that game gets played. The only way that I think this doesn't come true, and I think there's a specific situation, Gonzaga, two of their last games in conference play are against St. Mary's. I believe they're February 12th and the 26th, something like that. They're the two, two of the last Saturdays in February. If St. Mary's or Gonzaga, although it's less likely, if one of those two teams were to suffer a pretty significant COVID outbreak and have to go on a lengthy pause, there is a chance that that could really disrupt Gonzaga's ability to get those games in just because they're scheduled so late in the year. And by the time we find out that those games cannot be played, it might be too late to squeeze them in before the WCC tournament happens in early March in Las Vegas. But I'd be pretty surprised if the conference doesn't find a way, just unless other situations arise late in the season, I think it's pretty likely that all these games are going to get played. All right, this next one comes from Christian. He says, the point has been reached where the Tommy Lloyd detractors who publicly criticized his hiring need to admit they were wrong. As you said later in your question, they don't need to do anything. <laughs> and, and I think we're, we have 
to, to not spin off too far into a whole societal conversation about uh, social media, which I could do, but uh, we are have a society where you can just spout really hot takes and say things that are maybe a little bit outrageous or uh, to the extreme and kind of not face any consequences for those comments. You don't have to come back and say I was wrong. You don't have to come back and you don't have to do that. So, you know, you look at a Gilbert Arenas or a Richard Jefferson, who are the two most notable faces, alumni from Arizona, two former players, NBA players who criticized the hiring, who, who felt that it was not the right decision, who felt that him only being an assistant coach. And while they maybe didn't pointedly say it, but an assistant coach from a small school like Gonzaga, they felt like it was the wrong hire. And they do look wrong. I think it's a little early to make that conclusion. Um, that they have to come out and apologize. Do I think Tommy Lloyd was the right man for the job? Absolutely, 1,000% yes. Do I think he's done better than I even could have imagined in his first, whatever, 10 or so games? Yes, absolutely. He looks like a legitimate coach of the year candidate in his first season. That is incredible. When he continues to do his own recruiting, get his players in, he's going to be, he, he has a very real chance of being a Hall of Fame caliber coach. He's that good. Do I think people are going to admit it half a season in? No, I totally don't. They should, but they will not. They're not going to do it. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who is just, I think, recovering from COVID based on his tweet. So I'm glad that you're feeling better. He says, the Zags and Arizona face off against each other in the NCAA tournament. Seen this one before, still think it's possible. I'm going to say this is just right. The reason that I think it's maybe unlikely is just because... They have to be one and two in the West. That's the most likely situation where they run into each other. If either Gonzaga or Arizona is the one seed, the other team is the two seed, then of course they have the path to meet in the Elite Eight. I think that's very possible. I think the committee is going to try to make that the case. But right now, both these teams are playing like potential one seeds. That could change, of course. There are plenty of other teams that are in the in the running for a one seed. Any of those teams lose or drop off, obviously that could make, and if Gonzaga and Arizona continue to be really, really good at the end of the the season, they could be a situation where both these teams have to be one seeds. If that ends up being the case, then of course the path to them playing each other is much more difficult. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It means they meet in the, at the earliest in the final four at the latest as a national championship game, which my God, if Mark Few versus Tommy Lloyd, Gonzaga versus Arizona is the national championship game, that would be one of the most stressful, intense, epic, horrifying moments in sports. It's every emotion you could possibly think of wrapped into one. What an incredible event that would be if it were to come together. But even if these teams meet in the Elite Eight, which I think is is possible, it's definitely within the realm of possibility that these two teams end up the one seed and the two seed in the West, and they run through the respective tournament, uh, they get to the Elite Eight, Heck of a matchup there. I understand why they canceled their regular season game, but man, I know the fans want to see this game. It's going to stress me out to nobody's end, not just because Tommy Lloyd knows Mark Few and Gonzaga back in front, but because Arizona is really, really good, and they have the size, they have the depth, they have the overall scoring ability to, to beat this Gonzaga team. I think Gonzaga is better, but it is very close. And they're evenly matched on a coaching perspective as well, and it would be a heck of a game if it ends up happening. Next up, the next couple are from Christian, kind of switching over to Zags in the NBA conversation. He says, if the NBA Rookie of the Year was decided today, it would be Franz Wagner. He has the most points scored and the most minutes played. Yeah, so Franz Wagner, of course, from Michigan, also drafted by the Orlando Magic behind Jalen Suggs. 
Uh, I wouldn't pick him, I guess is the best way to answer this question. My vote would go to Evan Mobley. I know he doesn't score as many points, hasn't played as many minutes, as you said, but he is a really, really impactful defensive player. He has proven himself a very capable offensive player, and he's on a good team. And I know that Rookie of the Year in particular is not an award where you should factor in team success all that much, just because the best rookies are usually on the worst teams. Cleveland has been playing significantly better than anybody would have expected. Part of that is, of course, because of Mobley. Part of that is not necessarily because of Mobley. And it's a little unfair to punish Wagner for Orlando being bad. But I think Evan Mobley is the more impactful player. By the end of the year, it's going to be very close. There's other players who could certainly be in that conversation. Obviously, Cade Cunningham, chief among them. But I think right now it's between Mobley and Wagner. Next one again from Christian. He says, five years from now, Orlando's 2022 draft will be better than Toronto's 2022 draft. I think he meant 2021 because he said Wagner, Suggs versus Barnes and Banton, which is, of course, the 2021 draft. Uh, This is too cold. I think that Orlando's 2021 draft will be better than Toronto's by next season. I think you could make a strong argument that it is already better. Uh, Scotty Barnes has played great. He has given Toronto fans a lot of ammunition to say kind of, see, I told you so, when they ended up opting not to pick Suggs and picked Barnes instead. There was a lot of criticism about that. Now Barnes has looked great, and Suggs obviously is hurt currently, but even before he was hurt, he was not looking great. He looked fine, and I know that he will get better, but Barnes looks like the better player right now. But Barnes and Wagner is pretty close. Pretty close. I think they're very, very even. So then that means the comparison is between Suggs and Banton, And Suggs is a lot better. So I think Orlando's draft is going to look better than Toronto's draft very soon. Obviously, Orlando had two top 10 picks, so that helps make it significantly easier. But yeah, I think that long-term and even short-term Orlando's draft is better. And finally, the last question from Christian. Always got to have something a little bit less relevant to basketball. I encourage these. He says, all sporks should be destroyed. Pick a lane, fork or spoon. You don't get both. So I'm going to tell you right now, Christian, the only note that I have (laughs) on my note sheet, it just says, I do not have a strong opinion about this. I don't. I don't care. (laughs) It's, It's not something that is particularly of interest to me. I appreciate the passion on the topic. I'm sure some of you out there listening perhaps have passion about this topic as well. I don't care. It's not one that particularly, but I remember using them a lot when I was in elementary school and they gave them out so that they didn't have to give kids a fork and a spoon. They could just give them one. Uh, that seems, you know, like not the worst decision in the world. But again, not, not a topic that I've spent a lot of time thinking about in my life. All right, let us all enjoy the return of Gonzaga Hoops on Saturday. Fingers crossed, of course, that it still happens. Right now it's trending positively, which is great. I can't wait to interact with all of you on Saturday evening, actually watching live Gonzaga Hoops. I hope you all have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday to answer listener-submitted questions for Mailbag Monday. Stay tuned for that. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Finally, now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.